So let me pray for us, and we will get started. Thanks for closing that, Michael. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. and Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that we have with each other um, as we come to study your word, to learn about the Holy Spirit today, Lord, the third part of the Trinity. And pray that you would help us to fully grasp who he is and uh, what his function is and how he indwells the believer and leads us to all spiritual knowledge, Lord. Help us to... Um, us to recognize that and to fully worship the Holy Spirit as uh, the third part of the Trinity, Lord, that you have um, revealed to us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so uh, help us, Lord, to fully, fully understand that um, to the best of our ability as you have revealed yourself to us. And uh, we just ask that you bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. So here we are, Lesson 7, Session 1, The Person and Ministry of the Holy Spirit. So then, um, Andrea, could you uh, read that? Tell us why we're here. The purpose of fundamentals of the faith, to know God more deeply, to have assurance of eternal life, to become equipped for ministry. Yeah, so two things um, where the Holy Spirit is key in this particular three bullet points. One is to know God more deeply, right? It doesn't say God the Father, right? It says to know God more deeply. So in this, today we're going to talk about God the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly here is, well, secondly, is to be, to have assurance of eternal life. Who is it that, that regenerates the heart? The Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, Titus 3, 5, right? And to become equipped for ministry. What specifically what specifically does the Holy Spirit do to enable us to become equipped for ministry? What does he give us? The word give is in there, so it's the... He gives us gifts, right? Spiritual gifts that we are... Every believer has, and we'll, we'll, we'll study that when we get to that point. But every person, when they are transformed, when they become renewed, they are given gifts or giftedness. So we'll... We'll uh, uh, look at how that is packaged. Sometimes people have a gift of prophecy or a gift of evangelism or they have a giftedness. In other words, they're given a package which gives a lot of different gifts that could be used in the edification of fellow believers. That's the purpose. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. So, but we'll get there. Okay, so quiz. Let's start. Well, since you guys weren't here, this is going to be good. <laughs> Michael, can you read number one? The Holy Spirit is a person possessing intellect, emotion, and will. True. That's true. That's key because we're going to, this is part of our study, is a person. And we'll talk about what, what does a person need? What do you, how do you define a person? We'll get to that. But yeah, that's true. Okay. Carol. I'm sorry. Me? Yes. Kathy. Kathy. <laughs> the believer is baptized by the Holy Spirit only once. True. No. <laughs> no, wait a minute. No. <laughs> baptized by the Holy Spirit. You like to do trick questions. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> See, you, you weren't here to discuss it like everybody else when they were doing the yes, test. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I'm going to go quick for you because you said true already. Yeah, so. uh, yeah. And, and sorry, I get your name mixed up with Carol Johnson. So it's 
You know how that is? You can't. Sometimes you know it. You know a name, and it's it's associated with another name, and you can't you can't just unassociate them. You know. <clears throat> All right, that's one of those things. Uh, okay, she, Sheila, number three. A believer is filled with the Holy Spirit only once. True. True, and I would tell you, is there any dispute about this? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. What is it, Michael? <laughs> it, uh, people believe that you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be more than once, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. And if so. you don't, you, it's because you don't have enough faith. Ah. I've mm-hmm. heard that. Yes. Yes. Well, mm, interesting. Interesting thought there. Uh, <laughs> is the faith that? Oh, is it the faith that fills you with the Holy Spirit? You're supposed to acquire your own faith, apparently. Hmm. Hmm. But I think there's a verse we, last week's <laughs> verse, right, that would refute that, right? That faith is a gift of God, right? Yes. I didn't give so, myself. Yeah. This one is a little tricky. Okay, I'll admit, and people, this is the one. Uh, of, of the questions, this one was missed the most. But what does uh, Ephesians 5.18 say about this? It says, you know, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And so the, if you look at the Greek on there, it's, it's almost a continually be being filled, or be being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a, it's a continuous. And how is that done? How is it that we are filled with the Holy Spirit? Through the Word of God. Mm-hmm. But how do we, how do we, what's our role in this to be filled with the Holy Can we just say, fill me! Right? Salvation. Fill me, right? I was slain in the Spirit. Right? Yeah, I've heard that. You've heard that too, right? <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. <clears throat> Colossians 3.16. This is the parallel, these two par- parallel verses. One in Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, that is a command, and it's followed by what the result is. And then the result is that you are admonishing one another, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. Ephesians 5.18, on the other hand, says to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then it is followed by the same thing, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. So in your math class, remember that if, if A equals B and B equals C, what's the relationship from A to C? They're also equal, right? And so here you have this passage, which in, in um, Colossians results in the singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. And then you have... The Ephesians passage, which is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing to one, or, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. So the result then is A equals C and B equals C, therefore A equals B, right? So there, those are two, two parallel passages. So then the reading of the word, allowing the word of God to indwell us, to dwell in us richly then results in the being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Because as John MacArthur says, the more the word of Christ dwells in you, the more then the spirit will take control of your life and you will live out the word. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, right? But that comes from understanding who he is, who God is. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who uses that and helps us in our daily walk. Okay, good question. Uh, Number four... Jim, will you read that for us? 
A person cannot become a Christian unless convicted by the Holy Spirit of his or her sin. True. Right? So, for instance, if you're ever out sharing the gospel, you may come across a person who says, well, I don't sin. They don't sin. They don't think they sin, and do they need a Savior? Because the Savior is the one who saves you from the penalty of your sin. Right? So some people will say that. They'll say, well, I don't sin. Then you can pull the right comfort on them and, and ask them if they've ever told a lie or something. You know. Now, if they you know, completely uh, they completely lie about all their responses, well, you, you always go to Matthew 5.48. Well, are you perfect? They'll say, well, no, nobody's perfect. You say, well, there you go. Jesus said, you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, anyway, uh, this is true. So you can't... You can't uh, become a Christian unless convicted by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, Okay, where did I leave off? Whose turn? Mm. Oh, yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> you think you got away. I was hiding. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was active in the creation of the world. True. Yes, right. It says in the, in the Spirit of God brooded over the waters of the deep, right? So yes. Uh, okay, number six, Sheila. Let's go in reverse order now. It is the Holy Spirit's job to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Yes, true. Yes, that's true, right? Well, I was thinking that they're the one, they're in one, so they need to bear him, but he does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're the same, so. Yeah. Michael. The Holy Spirit is given to the true believer as a seal of his or her salvation. True. True. Yeah, we'll come across that verse. And uh, uh, number eight, Kathy. Sin causes the believer to forfeit the filling of the Holy Spirit. True. This is true, right? Explain. Explain. So then, this is the thought. So what? Sin. Sin is a <coughs> transgression of the law. Is this before you're born again? This is post, post-salvation. So, yeah, person is saved, right? And we're talking about how does sin then interfere with the filling of the Holy Spirit? Remember what I talked about, how you are, how are you filled with the Holy Spirit again? By reading the Word. By reading the Word, allowing the Word of God to dwell in you richly, right? And then it's the Holy Spirit that enables you to obey the commandments, right? So what happens then if you choose not to obey the commandments? What is that, what is that really saying? John 3.36, right? He who believes in the Son has, positive, I mean, uh, present tense, he who believes has eternal life. But he who does not obey shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So therefore, if you disobey, you're going to be interfering or, uh, or, or literally cutting off the filling of the Holy Spirit. You interrupt the fellowship with the Lord. And is so, what is it? It is. It's the grieving of the Holy Spirit, and we'll get to that too as part of the lesson for sure. And so, um, that's how we can literally um, cause the forfeiting of the fill, filling of the Holy Spirit, because we are not then allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly, just because we have it in our head. Knowledge, we've read it, doesn't mean we're obeying it. We're not believing it. And what was it that the? I think it was the centurion said who after, after uh, his servant, I believe, was healed, and he says, your belief has, I think, healed him. What, is, what was his response to that? He said, well, help my unbelief, right? Mm -hmm. Help my unbelief, 
right? And it, so what it is is this, is that when we disobey, it's an indication of our lack of belief. Because otherwise you would have to say a person is, they have to be insane. How is it you're going to say that God's word, morning, Keone, how is it that you're going to say God's word, you believe it, and it tells you the blessings and the penalties if you obey it and disobey it, and a person just <clears throat> goes out and disobeys it? What do you say about that person? Really? You're going to tell me you believe God's word, but yet you do the opposite of what it says? Now, we all do that. We all sin. That's why we repent. But a person who then continually walks in sins, what, what happens? What do you do to a person? Let's say there's a person who is, uh, you know, you can choose the sin, but they're, they're let's say, a, a married person, and they're continually engaging in adultery, right? What happens? What does the church do with that person, ultimately? Well, you just did it. Discipline, right? There's, there's church discipline and a calling back to repent because we always, the goal is restoration, right? But if a person continues on and on and on and doesn't respond, what, what does the church then do? <clears throat> they put them out as a, a Gentile, an unbeliever, right? Because if they believed, then they would obey. If they don't believe, then they don't obey. You can't lose your salvation. Well, what would that say then? If a person walks away, they weren't saved. They weren't saved in the first you place. You can't forfeit something that you right. might have. Exactly. My my right. question is the exactly. word forfeit. Because yeah. once you have true. the spirit, you don't lose it. So that's actually yeah. true. You true. About, you can't lose your spirit if you don't have it. You that's can right. Talk about like in, in Acts when they're selecting, you know, deacons and filled with the Holy filled spirit. with the Holy Spirit. But other people are filled with the Holy Spirit too. They're I want to say more field. They're more open to the use of, like Ephesians 5.18, mm -hmm. they're not being bound by wine. They're being open to the use of the Holy Spirit. They're being, they're being driven, controlled by the Holy yes. Spirit, not by wine. Not right? by wine, not exactly. By wine. And so the controlling of the Holy Spirit comes with <clears throat> the filling of the Word, right? Filling, being filled with God's Word, the Lord of uh, the Word of, of Jesus indwelling in you. But the person then who is not listening to his own conscience of the Holy Spirit can then forfeit the filling. It is not that you forfeit all the spirit. You're not, you're not going to be lost, right? Is that when a person sins, it interrupts the fellowship. You can grieve the spirit. That's part of it. So is it, what is that doing? If you're grieving the spirit, what do you think is happening here? Are you are forfeiting the filling by grieving the spirit? Uh, no, if you're Have you interrupted? You can't forfeit the spirit. Look the We're not talking about forfeit as in no spirit. It's called the forfeit filling. To give up, right? So forfeit, it means to give up, right? So you're giving up the filling, not giving up the spirit, right? The word is giving up the filling, forfeiting the filling. So that are you going to be filled with the spirit when you're walking in sin? Either you have the spirit or you don't. And if you're filled with the spirit once, he never leaves until the day of salvation. He never leaves. Being filled and being filled are two different things. Being filled, filled and being filled, or being you're sealed indwelled, yeah. When you believe, right. you are sealed. And filled. But, it, but you're constantly, do you, do you, when you have to, see there's times when you have to call on the Holy Spirit to give you strength and power in a time of, of um, what, uh, temptation or trial or something like that. Yeah. But if it, there's times when you don't call on him, he just doesn't show up there. He doesn't so escape, he doesn't leave though, he's, he's still there. No, he's not there. gone, no, he's waiting for me to say, I need to measures of filling. And that's it. 
That's what that's retarded. Correct, but let's change that word for <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's who wrote this? So it's the forfeit <laughs> of the fill. You're giving up the filling of the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Sin causes a person to give up the filling. You cannot be in constant sin and say, "Oh, fill me, Holy Spirit." Well, didn't David? Didn't the Bible say David got filled with the Holy Spirit? That was well, Adam's knee. That was for Jesus. No, that's that's what I'm saying. You know, well, if David got filled with the Holy Spirit, right. what caused him to lose it or not to be filled? It depends on when 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 that statement yeah. was. Right? Yeah. Was that prior to Bathsheba or after? You know. But the point is this, and I, let's let's be very clear about this: a person's involved in an ongoing sin, then they are forfeiting. The filling of the Spirit. The, fill, the Spirit is not going to bless a person and say, I'm going to fill you even though you're disobedient, right? No. But when a person does confess that sin, God is faithful and just to forgive them that sin, right? And to remove the all unrighteousness from them, they're then restored, right? Because they've confessed it. And then while they read and fill or allow the, the Word of Christ to dwell in them richly, the Holy Spirit is literally refilling. It's like, it's like uh, you need a constant refilling of the Holy Spirit, right? The, the Spirit indwells you, it's true, but it does the, are you filled to the tippy top all the time once forever? No. no. No, right? And so that's what it's referring to is that we constantly need the refilling of the Holy Spirit. And where does that come from? It comes from the Word of God dwelling in us richly. That's what that is. So if a person's in sin, what do you think they're doing with the Word of God? Are they reading it? Are they obeying it? They're ignoring it, right? So therefore, they're literally forfeiting the filling, the benefits that they would have if they were being obedient. I would call them blessings then, because if, if you're a believer, you will repent, because the Spirit is inside you to cause you to repent, and you're not forfeiting the What happens? What happens the during the time frame when a person is not repentant? He still has a, if he's a, if he's sealed with the spirit, he has the spirit in him. He has him in him, but it, but it doesn't. We're not talking about that. But is the spirit that's what we're talking filling? About. Are they constantly being filled? I can. I, can I think it's a better you, way to phrase this. I can give you a personal mm -hmm. experience. I'm new, mm -hmm. okay. So I'm learning what you all probably learned when you were teens and twenties. All right. So what I have learned in my short walk is that when I neglect reading my Bible mm -hmm. day after day after day after day, it's like a volume going down, down, down. Correct. Down. I haven't lost the spirit. Correct. But I do not feel the joy. I don't feel right. the peace. Exactly. I don't feel You're not as filled, but the spirit's so still there. Correct. Let me, yeah. good now. I pick up my mm -hmm. Bible and I start being more devoted to it. And the more I do that, the volume goes up, mm -hmm. up, up, Good. and I right. have more joy and right. more peace Amen. and more yes. connection to my Lord. Right. Absolutely. So it, as an example, it is a little semantic, yeah, but here's the example, is the example. So we are a vessel, right? We're a vessel, uh, say a beaker, right? And I have a pitcher of water, the beaker's half full. The pitcher of the water is the spirit. And so I pour water into the beaker. And the spirit, which is the water, then fills the beaker, right? This is the literally the word of God that is indwelling in the person, allowing the spirit to work in them, is filling them with that. And then I stop. Stop filling. They're filled up. And then what happens to the water over time? Well, 
Evaporates, evaporates away. Evaporate. So I need another dose of the Spirit. I need to continue fill because the word in five eight Ephesians five eight is to keep on being filled or be uh, uh, be being filled, which means that it's a constant. Right. So sin then is going to interrupt that flow, and a person. No, the Holy Spirit's not going to leave you because if a person is saved, they're sealed, they're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. However, they will not have the benefits of, and they will feel, as you said, not you, you're not feeling joy. Do you feel joy when you're in sin? No, your spirit is convicting you, right? Your conscience is convicting you. So, yeah, good. Good discussion. Uh, Q&A number nine. The believer's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. True. True, 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 true. Uh, and number 10, Kathy. The Holy Spirit will have nothing to do with a person until he or she confesses Christ as the Lord and Savior. Is that one of the different ones? <laughs> <laughs> it was for me. I think it has I to, to be the one. Well, that was the discussion drawing. question. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Well, let's think through it logically. You have to, the Holy, Holy Spirit is drawing you. And we, it, wait a minute, there was another one up there that um, convicted Number four. The, yeah, number four. Right. Cannot become a Christian unless convicted by the Holy Spirit of his or her sin. So the Holy Spirit will have nothing to do with it. That's false. There, there it gets a good. See, you work through I, that. Work through the logic. It don't make sense. What All right, that's excellent, excellent. Because that's really what we have to do. We have to think about it. You got to think about it. You have to understand the process. Right. Mm -hmm. The Spirit causes you to confess your sin. That's yeah. right. So, you are uh, unsaved when the Holy Spirit comes to work on the heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, it's through that process that a person becomes saved. Right. Titus three five. Is it not by works of righteousness what we have done, but according to his mercy saved by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. And so it's the Holy Spirit who comes in and saves the sinner. And after that, yeah, then you confess Christ as Lord. Not You can't confess Christ as Lord. And then the Holy Spirit says, oh, okay, I'll, I'll come to you. It doesn't work that way. That's, that's kind of the opposite. Because... Romans 3.10 says, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God. So therefore, if that's the case, then how is it anybody could say, oh, I confess Christ as Lord, and then the Holy Spirit fills them. That would be, again, opposite of what yeah. the Word says. So good, good thoughts, good, uh, good logical thought process on that. So any questions on this? That's the whole lesson, so we're kind of done. So. <laughs> I finished early. Finished. <laughs> All right. Anybody memorize the memorization verse John fourteen sixteen? It's not real long. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever, forever. Right. So that's that. What does that say about those who say you can lose your salvation? I guess forever is not forever. <laughs> Right? They would say that apparently it's not forever, but you can lose your salvation. Well, Scripture says otherwise. Right? You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. I, I love the sermon John MacArthur gave uh, sharing when he went to Russia mm. and was um, fellowshipping with educating the Russian pastors. Yeah. yeah. And they truly believed that you could lose your salvation. Mm -hmm. John MacArthur says, I went to sleep. I knew I was right. And the next morning, the Russian pastors had 
multiple questions for Jim right. MacArthur yeah. about that particular subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, that was, it was a good sermon. If you haven't listened to the one on the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to do so. so. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible identifies him as one of the three persons existing as one God, that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in this lesson, we'll study who the Holy Spirit is and his presence and ministry in the believer's life. So here's the outline. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit, uh, we'll look at the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in salvation, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, and its application. So then, moving right along. Okay, Jim, could you read that one for us? <clears throat> Up here, Cal 14, 26? Yes, sir. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This is so, uh, such a, a key, key, key verse because sometimes the people forget uh, um, about the time that Christ was with the apostles, right? And what do you think he was doing in the three years of ministry that he was with them? Teaching them. Teaching them, right? He was teaching them everything about himself. He was teaching them everything about the church to come. He was with them for three, just like Paul, who was in Arabia for three years, receiving a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He was taught in the things of the Old Testament. So too were the apostles, right? So the key here is, though, is that the Holy Spirit then will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This is how they're able to then put that down in, in, uh, in you know, book form, literally, that becomes part of the Bible, right? First and second Peter is in there, and then Paul writes all these epistles after he has been instructed by the Lord as well. And he, too, is going to be uh, everything is going to be brought to his remembrance that, that Christ told him. And so the Holy Spirit is active in that and in the writing of Scripture. Um, let's see. This verse, then, um, notice it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you. Forever. Okay, so how many persons are mentioned here? Three. There's three, right? Three persons are mentioned here. They're, they're I, Jesus, right? The Father, being God the Father, and the Helper. And the Helper is referred to here as the Holy Spirit. Notice, what is the significance of the word He? It's a capital. Yeah, it's a capital He, but it's notice it's a He. Yeah, it's a personal pronoun. So it's He as opposed to an It. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit he, as in a person, right? He didn't call it an it, as an entity. So, so he's the person, and then um, we'll look at that. What, what, we'll explore the facts here. What attributes then are necessary before we call someone a person? Before, okay, so if I had a plant here, you'd say, well, is that a person? No, why not? Because it doesn't have a soul. Okay, but you can't see a soul. What other what other attributes would you look at? He has a physical body, emotion, intellect. Uh, intellect, and what did you say? Did you, intellect. intellect, yeah, intellect, emotion. What else? Uh, yeah, mind? intelligence, thought. Right, you have to be able to discern things. You have to actually uh, uh, even know that they exist as a person. Right. So then, 
if you, we'll, we'll go on and look at some of these, but yeah, so if you want to define what constitutes a person, well, here's Keown. So he's got, he's got a body, right? He's got, but he could be you know, just a mannequin, we wouldn't know, right? But he has a brain, so he's got, he is allowed to move, he has thoughts, he can speak, he can think, and he has a, like he says, I, I want to go up and use the restroom. What does that mean, he has? He has a will, right? He has a will. He wants to get up and go on his own, right? So um, those would be like the three things, intellect, will, and what was the third thing? Volition. Yes. So that's kind of volition is will, right? But he's got to have those, he's got to have the three things that would constitute. So the personality then, we look at intellect, right? He possesses the ability to know and understand reality. And what does Romans have to say about that? Keone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Read that. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he uh, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. All right, so what is this saying then that the spirit possesses? A mind, a mind right? The spirit has a mind, right? Yeah. And then um, where we get to he, it says now he, the first he there, personal pronoun. Who is that referring to? Uh, God the Father. God the Father, right? So God the Father searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is. God knows the mind of the Spirit, all right? Um, so then the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Right? God knows what the mind, God knows the minds of the Spirit. God searches the hearts. So our hearts, the mind and the spirit, then are going to be in, um, in harmony with God's will. Okay, then the Holy Spirit also um, in this one. But God has revealed them to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Wow. Okay. So, what do you think? What kind of mind does the Spirit have to have in order to search the deep things of God? Is God an infinite being? What kind of mind does the Holy Spirit have to have to search the deep things of an infinite being? An infinite mind. An infinite mind. Yeah, right? God's mind. So then, what would you infer from that about the Holy Spirit? He would also have to be an infinite being. And then we say, well, who is infinite? God. God, right? So he's God. Yeah. Okay, then. So, the oh, and then uh, 1 Corinthians 2.11... For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. All right? So the spirit knows God. And if the spirit knows God, then the spirit also has to be God. Right? So... Emotion. Right? So then, that was the other thing we talked about. So, he's got to have a mind, he's got to have emotion, 
and he's got to have volition. So in this one, we talk about emotion. Um, a Andrea, could you read that one? Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, on whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Yeah, so what is, in this verse, what is the emotion? Grieve, right? And what, what does grieve mean? We have people, they, they grieve the loss of a loved one, right? It's, it's sorrowful, right? They're sorrowful, right? And so the Holy Spirit then is, is sorrowful, grieved. When, and when does that take place? When is the Holy Spirit grieved? When I stop reading my Bible. <laughs> right? When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. So he has the ability to be grieved, right? And then volition is then he possesses the ability to act decisively, right? And so how do we see that? Uh, how do we see the Spirit worked in in that following verse, in the following verses then? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of us for the profit of all. And then verse 11, um, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So the first one is the manifestation of the Spirit given to each one. What is that? What is the manifestation of the Spirit? Yes. Yeah, so it would be the gifts of the Spirit sure. given to each one of us for the profit of all. We use those gifts then in the edification of fellow believers. But the... the, the Second verse down here, 11, is that he gives individually as he wills, which means he does it on his own volition. So then he's, we say he's grieved, so he's got an emotion. Now he has volition, right? Or another word for that, he's got his own will. So then he, yeah, he makes known as he chooses, and then Acts 13, 2 says, as they ministered, to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So then, what is the Holy Spirit saying here? What does he say? Literally he says, separate them for the work that I have called them. He then is the one who is making the decision on who he is going to use in the ministry. So that would be um, exhibiting a will, right? So then, how does the Holy Spirit demonstrate actions at, uh, of a person? All right, Matthew 10, 20. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So then he speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks. Hmm. Okay, what else does he do? Michael, could you read that? John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Ah, so then what else does he do besides speaking? He's teaching, right? He teaches too. Which we covered that already, but I didn't cover teaching part. He teaches. What else? This is, we covered this. He gives... <clears throat> He distributes to each one, right? So that is ex exhibiting um, his own will, right? So he distributes gifts. And then 
John 16, 8. And when he comes, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, right? Mm -hmm. So if we look more closely at this one, it says, and he, when he comes, why do you think the word he is used twice? Emphasis. Emphasis, right? Anytime there's something like that used more than once, like twice or three times, adds emphasis, right? And so, and he, when he comes, the emphasis that he's a person. The Holy, per the, the Holy Spirit is a person. And so uh, it's indicating that, you know, he is an individual. Yeah, that reminds me of what Ananias and Sapphira did when they sold their land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll get to that. It's okay. like coming up soon. <laughs> the prophet. Right, yeah. So he convicts the world of sin, and then we covered this though, right? The Spirit searches all things. And then what else? Hmm. Sheila, could you read that? Mm -hmm. John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of the truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So then, what's the spirit doing here? He is testify. testifying, right? What do you need to do to be able to testify? Well, you need to be able to speak. You need to have a, you need to have a mind. You need to have recall, right? If you're, let's say you're, you're called to testify in a court of law, right? What do you have to have? Well, you have to have knowledge of the case. You have to be able to explain it. You have to be able to communicate. I mean, you have to do all these things that a person does. So the Holy Spirit comes and he testifies as well. So. And then Acts uh, 16, I think we covered this, but um, no, we didn't. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak there. So in this case, he is restricting them from speaking there, right? Um, and then uh, to speak the word in Asia. And then verse 7, after they came to uh, Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So the Spirit before was called the Spirit of God, and now it's called the Spirit of Jesus. Two different titles for the same person. So in just a, uh, uh, Mycia is uh, Troas in the northwest part of the province of Asia Minor. And then Bithynia is a separate Roman province northeast of uh, Mycia. So it's a kind of the same area. Okay. So then, in what ways does man respond to the Holy Spirit? Well, in some cases, let's see. Uh, Keone, could you read those three? Yeah. Uh, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up. Go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? 
Okay, so Peter gets instructions. What did he do? He obeyed. He obeyed, right? He got up and he did it right when the Holy Spirit told him to do it, right? He didn't grieve the Spirit. He didn't grieve the Spirit. So let's see what happens next. Hmm. Sheila, can you read that one? Okay. 7.51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your Father did. Oh, so resisting. So we can obey. We can resist. What else? What else can we do? Jim, could you read that? Yeah. Uh, Acts 5, 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Ooh. So, in the first part of this, um, Ananias is accused of lying to the Holy Spirit, right? And then, in the second part of that passage, who has Peter equated the Holy Spirit to? He says, you've not lied to men, but to God. So, he says, you lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. So, mm -hmm. this, this story has always kind of triggered this curiosity in my mind, um, just for the sake of this question. Let's say they had one acre, mm -hmm. and they sold it for 50, but kept uh, $10. Mm -hmm. If they had originally just come out and said, we're going to sell it for 50, we're going to give you 40 and keep 10. Mm -hmm. Would that have been okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Absolutely. They didn't lie. They didn't lie. The issue is that they lied. They said, this is how much we sold it to. But they kept back part of the money, right? And they, what, all they had to do was say, we want to donate this to the issue. We sold a piece of property and we're donating this, this money right here. That's yeah. all. Yeah, but okay. they wanted to make it look like, we sold it for this and we're giving all of this. So holy, look at us. Look, pride, pride, pride. Thank you. So that's why. Good question. Yeah, and so, but does that mean they were unsaved? No. No. Right. Why did, why then did they, um, they were disciplined. Why did they die? Why did God take them out? Right. And it was disciplined. But fear and everybody else. Yeah. As yeah. an example. Mm -hmm. As an example too, and for the purity of the church. This is, mm -hmm. the church was just starting, right? And it was, uh, it was serious, you know, mm -hmm. you, and, and when they came and said, here it is, and then uh, Peter calls them right out and says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. So where did Peter get that? How did he know that? The Spirit probably told him, right? <laughs> so there's a gift that we'll get to. That, and this is one of the few times that, uh, without saying it, you can infer it, is that so Peter was given a gift of knowledge, knowledge he did not possess. How did he know this? The Holy Spirit told him, right? So he's given that gift of knowledge right there. So then, um, then he accused him, you've lied to God. And then he dropped it, and they hauled him out. And then his wife came in and did the same thing. So you can lie to the Holy Spirit. What else? What other ways do we respond? Kimberly, could you read that? Um, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God 
and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. So we can insult the spirit of grace, right? We can insult the spirit, right? And um, Jesus spoke specifically to the Pharisees about the unpardonable sin. Remember what that was? Mm -hmm. That was attributing to um, attributing to Satan, Satan the, works of God. the works of God, the works of the Holy Spirit, right? And so that was the un unpardonable sin. And that, that clearly is, that would be an insult of, uh, uh, to the Holy Spirit as well. But we can insult the Spirit. What else? We can grieve, right? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So if it, was, if it wasn't possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, would there be a need to put this verse in there? No. Of course not, right? You don't, you don't put the things that aren't possible. You put things that, aren't, that, that happen. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. All right. So this is, this is that one. Truly I say to you, so Mark 3, 28 and 29, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. That's pretty serious. Now, this is a question people always bring up all the time. Say, well, I, mean, I think I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Is that possible for us this day? Because why? Because this was specifically in relations to miracles that Jesus performed. And they were eyewitnesses to those miracles. And then they said, well, he does those through the power of Beelzebub, right? Satan, in other words. And so they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit at that time. And Could said, you blaspheme the Spirit... If we are his saints and we're doing the works of God, yes, we're not doing the crazy miracles that Jesus did, but if someone's attributing the goodness of God in us through the Spirit and saying, yeah, you're demonic, isn't that like blasphemy of the Spirit? Because they're attributing the good works we're doing to Satan. Yeah, but the, this specific was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, performed miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they accused Jesus of doing them by the power of Satan. That is what the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit was. So us doing good works is not going to be the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. But because we're not doing God, miracles as God. I know what talking yeah. about. I know, I yeah, know. because Jesus even said, like, I'll forgive you, though you accuse me of them, but because you're, because you're grieving the Spirit... You know what I mean? Yeah. But if Jesus is gone now, but he's working through us, his mm -hmm. vessels, mm -hmm. technically. Yeah, but are you doing miracles? Are you Jesus doing said greater miracles than this you will do. So, I mean, we are doing miracles as we preach the word, and people are coming to, that's the greatest miracle, is watching mm -hmm. salvation. Through salvation, yeah. But yeah. Are you, and if are someone's you... saying that's evil, and you're doing evil, I, I honestly think you could that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. See, the, the secular today, it, uh, if, if I've got you right, yeah. are, are actually pointing to true born-again believers, mm. yes. like evangelists maybe on mm. the yes. corner in California, 
Yeah. And coming up to them and saying, you're evil, you're, you're demonic. Painful, yeah, you're yeah. demonic, you know. Yeah. But they're not the son of God. Right. right? They're not. They're not. They're, you know, they're just humans. But I get yeah. it. We have the son you of do. God in us. Right. So when they're blaspheming you and saying, well, you're doing this by the power of, well, Satan. Why would they, why would they even say that? Because they're on Satan's side. Right. <laughs> so, but, uh, but it's not the same as them accusing Jesus, God in, incarnate, of doing things through, through uh, Satan. It's not the same. They okay. can accuse us all the time. Because we're sinners. Because they saw Christ. It was for the Pharisees and Sadducees who would say, mm -hmm. that's not what I'm doing. Because um, Paul says to Timothy, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Mm -hmm. So it's not just us blaspheming. It was at that time. At that specific time. Paul said, I was oh, a blasphemer. blasphemer. Paul said that, right? Oh. So, again... The blaspheming was done by the leaders, the high-up Pharisees, who said, you do these things by the power of Bezalel. So how was Paul Jesus. forgiven if he was a blasphemer? He wasn't there. He wasn't there. He wasn't one of those who said, you see the, Jesus said, you see all these miracles and you accuse me of doing them through the power of Satan. So you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And he says there that whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit has no forgiveness. He had to have been there because he was one of the top. No, he, well, he was a he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but that's not to say he was there at that time. It's debatable. I don't think it's debatable because if it was there, Paul would have been one of the blasphemers. He wouldn't have been forgiven. Uh, those those been individuals were specific. He was there at the stoning. He said stoning. That. So yeah. he would have admitted it. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. He would have said that. Yeah. So anyway. Point being is, is that that just making sure that we all understand is that someone says, oh, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What is the one sin that keeps you out of heaven? One sin. What is it? Rejection of Christ. That's it. Unbelief. Right? That's literally the one. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. No. You that can't. Or that time and that place. That time and okay. that place. Specific, right? So then, let's look at the Holy Spirit's attributes. Uh, so the Holy Spirit is all-knowing. And Isaiah says that. Uh, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? These are rhetorical questions. No, no one did. The Holy Spirit is omniscient. Oops. So then, uh, omnipresent. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Mm -hmm. so the spirit is everywhere. And then eternal. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So here it says, eternal spirit, right? So eternal meaning forever, forever and ever. And then truth, so a couple verses here, but 1 John 5, 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And then 
John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So then, if he will guide you into all truth, what does that mean he needs to know? Everything. He needs to know all truth. Otherwise, how could he guide you into all truth? Right? So then the Holy Spirit is also um, all truthful. Right? And there's a few verses that um, equate the three of them together in different descriptors. So the key statement believes, here it is. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So in this verse, what is it saying the Lord is? The spirit. The Lord is the spirit. Right? Um, and then we can also say that the spirit is the Lord. So what does that say about the spirit? He's God. Spirit is God. Right? If the Lord is spirit and the spirit is the Lord, then the spirit is God. Okay, and then we talked about Acts 5, 3, but about lying, lying to the Spirit is lying to God, right? So the Spirit, again, that's equating the Spirit with God. All right, so then, the Holy Spirit is God. We have the Spirit of truth, Spirit of life. Jesus, Jesus is called the truth and the life in John 14, 6. So let's look at these verses. So, um, John, 1 John 5, Six at the bottom there. So there is one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And then Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So then we have... Uh, <laughs> Jesus is called the truth and the life, and then we have the spirit of life and the spirit of truth. It's equating both the spirit to those descriptors for Jesus as well. And then John 7, 38 through 39. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost be being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So then, in this verse, we say that Jesus is called the living bread in John 6, 51. The Father is called the living Father in John 6, 57. And Jesus was, in this case, the Spirit is living waters. And so you get the three livings there. Living water, living bread, and living Father. And then the Spirit of glory. So... If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you, 1 Peter 4.14. Then we have Jesus is called the Lord of glory in 1 Corinthians 2.8, and the Father is called the Father of glory, Ephesians 1.17. So in, in three separate cases, so you got the spirit of truth, you got the living water, and you got the Lord of glory. Same descriptor is used for the Holy Spirit. So all three parts of the Trinity have the similar descriptions. Which means what? They're all co-eternal, right? They're all co-omniscient. There's another term, I think, essence, co-essential, meaning of the same essence. 
So, but yet we say there's only one God. Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed and there will be none after me. So what does that say? I mean, you have to put all these pieces together and this is in the Old Testament, right? Is that there is no specific terminology for the Trinity, right? But there's the associations that go on in even the very beginning which I think is our next, right? God refers to himself in the plural. In Genesis 1.22a, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. Genesis 3.22. 3, uh, so how do you put all that together? In the Old Testament, and this, this was something that the Jewish scholars had difficulty with in the Hebrew because it was referring to God as singular in a plural form. I don't think they did have trouble with that. And even most, I think, of the Christian scholars would say it's easy to interpret that as power, as his great authority. Mm. And so if you read some of the great commentaries by the Christians, and they say, think, don't hang your hat on this as Trinity. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Because it's not a it, proof it, of. It could. It's. It's like um, you can look back and say, "Okay, I see it now." Yes. Right. But in the Jewish mind, it would have been simply put as like God's God's glory, His power. His so they would have used they would have used attributes as us. Correct. Right. Well, they would have used his power, the and glory, of the power, and or some kind yeah. of majesty as as us. They, they could. It could be used both ways. Either way, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, for us, when you look at the whole, right. it's the first indication of that God is more than a singularity, right? It is singular, but in plural form. And there's lots of ways people try and describe the Trinity. You know, like the egg, you got the shell, you got the yolk, you got the egg white. They're all egg, but. But there's battle case, modalism. And then there's other ways that people just try to describe the Trinity um, as like ice. You know, ice you have in three, you literally have three forms of, you know, water is what it is. So you have water is in a liquid state, and then it's in an ice state, and then it's also in a vapor state. So you have these three different states of the same thing. And I think they've now... Plasma is a fourth state. Well, right, but they've had water exist in all three states at the same time. Same time, yes, yes, you can do that. You can do that. Which is so cool. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a certain temperature point where you can have ice, you can have liquid, and you can have water vapor above it. So. Oh, all at one time. All at the same time. Just like frogs. What? Yeah, right. It's right up. Right out here in Tennessee, it happens. In <laughs> Oak Ridge? Yeah, probably. Maybe. Right there. Uh, okay. So we know the Father is God, right? John 6, 27. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Okay. So then, 
we see uh, the Father is God. God refers to himself as the plural. Christ is God. We see this in Titus, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we see the Holy Spirit is God, which we already covered, right? You have not lied to men, but to God. So there's three distinct statements. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So there are three. Um, the three are distinct from each other, though, right? Because at the baptism of Jesus, what do you see? Keone, could you read that one? Yep. Mark 1.10. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening on Jesus, and the Spirit, like a dove descending upon him, Jesus, and a voice came out of the heavens, the Father, you are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Right. So for, this is a great verse, take the Jehovah's Witnesses and ask them to explain it. How do you explain all this, right? Um, because here you have all, all three appearing at the same time. This is also great to go to uh, the one Pentecostals. One Pentecostals are modalists. So they believe in God, but they don't believe in three separate um, parts of the Trinity. What they believe is that God will appear in one of the three parts. I, I actually heard one say that something like that. He said about himself, he says, okay, here we go. He says, I am a father, I am a son, and I can't remember the third example that he gave. And at that point, I thought, oh, okay, I get it now. Mm. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I have since been re-educated. Yeah, that's an interesting mm -hmm. thought process, but. Where's three hats? Three hats. It's just like putting on a hat. Yeah. That's what the modalists believe, mm -hmm. right? Just putting on a different hat, right? But here, obviously, all three are, are, are appearing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, some Trinitarian statements. First Peter 1, 2, according to foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. There's a Trinitarian statement there. And then here, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. And now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So three separate verses, three separate um, descriptions of the Trinity. Spirit, Lord, and God. So then. There's one living God, eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're co-equal, co-eternal, and co-substantial, meaning of the same essence, same substance. I don't know if it's substantial is the right word for that. Co-substantial? Co well. We know what you mean. Yeah. We get it. Yeah. Same substance. It's a word. Because the substance and subsistency, because, but it's, it's, yeah, I suppose less confusing than person and persons, right? One person and three persons, yes. even one, yeah. um, which is why they went to that substantial. Yeah. A lot of times they use the word same essence, they use the word essence, essence. so it's co-essential yeah. of the same essence. So, but that gets a fusion too, a little bit confusing, so, but anyway. So they're, but they are equal, they're the same, right? You're co 
co-equal, co-eternal, and of the same essence. So they're all part of God. They make up God. And so they all deserve equal worship and obedience. Do you worship the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. So then, the Father, from whom all revelation proceeds, who foreknew our salvation, demonstrated his love for us by giving his only Son. The Son, the incarnate God who gave himself as a sacrifice for sin, he now intercedes and mediates between the Father and man. And then the Holy Spirit indwells the believer and seals as God's possession, sanctifying the believer through the word. So the Trinity is equal in essence, yet different in function, right? It's like, if you look at a marriage, you have a husband and a wife. They are co-heirs. They are co-equal but they have different functions. That's it. That's the difference. So, all right, today we looked at, almost finished on time. So. The Holy Spirit's a person with personal traits and characteristics. The Holy Spirit is God of the same essence and attributes. Any questions? Any discussion? So if you were to see them, you would see three persons. If you were to, they were to be, present themselves in front of you, there would be God is spirit, and then yeah. have a body. Yeah, right, because in, in, in Mark, what did you see? You saw the spirit descending like a dove. You saw Jesus incarnate, the spirit descending like a dove, and you heard the voice of God. So, when you're in heaven, then, will you see all three? That's the question. Yeah, you will. See all three. Isn't it interesting, um, there's also seven spirits of God. Was that in Zephaniah? And in Revelation? Revelation, yeah. Mm -hmm. Seven. There's seven spirits in church, isn't it? Seven churches. No, it says seven spirits of God. Yeah. It's interesting. Throws you a little twist in there. Can we do the, the, the you know, look at, or do a lesson on the seven spirits of God from Revelation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's another one of my curiosities. What? No, but seven is a number of perfection. It's like yeah. God is, because he's omnipresent too. You know? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. That would be, uh, if you go to the third hour Sunday school class, uh, Paul Edmiston is going into a study of end times, and so he may cover that. Today's hmm. second lesson, and he's also writing a book on it. Is yes. Yeah. So does he say the seven are... Just the one Holy Spirit. I don't know. I haven't sat to the class. <laughs> <laughs> Have to wait and see, right? So we'll see. But, um, yeah. Who did I have here? Anybody else? Oh. I didn't get my quiz back. I have it right here. Sorry. Okay. Thanks. You want to take seven on us, what the next one Yeah, and I will collect any that uh, you have to turn in. So, um, but let me, uh, let me just pray for us because it's nine. 13 or so. Father, thank you so much for today and thank you for your word, the clarity of your word, Lord. And as we dig, we truly get a, uh, an understanding and a description of who the Holy Spirit is, Lord, who he is uh, in the 
in the life of the believer and in the life of the church, in, uh, in creation, in our sanctification. And so help us, Lord, to uh, recognize that uh, he is uh, part of, part of the, the Godhead, Lord, and that we worship him and we worship you and we worship our, son, our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, and uh, just give you all the glory. And we just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would continue to work within us and to sanctify us to help us to be obedient to your word. Uh, we ask that you bless the rest of our day, and we ask this in Jesus' name.